native tongue and the day has just begun. Hey there, Irvine. Good afternoon. You are tuning in to the awesome show here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine called Activism for Amateurs with your host here, Lauren Q. And we've been having this show on the air for uh, approximately the past two years now, uh, just with a few um, breaks in between since I am a student as well. And this show is actually for students for students who wish to get more involved with activism and however activism looks like to them, for issues that they are passionate about. And uh, we have a guest uh, host this morning with us. He'll be with us for the next half hour. A student, UCI student, Valche Yusefian, is also here on the air. You want to go ahead and say hi to our Irvine listeners, Valche? Hello, beautiful people. Um, hi, my name is Valche Yusefian. I'm a third year here going to University of California, Irvine. Um, double major criminology and law and society and english with creative writing emphasis um yeah all right cool oh. all right cool thank you so much for being um a guest on the show this um afternoon uh Vache. uh so uh, basically Vache will be here to just add in um some input uh to what we are talking about on the show today and um so uh, no formal interview, but uh, we will be talking about a very uh, serious event that has occurred uh, recently. Um, so yesterday, uh, thousands of Chilean students clashed with police on the streets in the capital of Chile, in Santiago. And uh, it was a protest calling for educational reform. Now, uh, this, uh, this type of activism in Chile, especially with um, students who are in Chile, has been happening for a really long time now. Uh, major, uh, major protests occurred uh, just this past August in 2012. And uh, there were a lot of uh, police who were uh, basically uh, sent to try to um, deal with the student activists um, in Santiago back then um, in August and uh, it happened again uh, yesterday actually so uh, anyway uh, basically some of the uh, events that happened yesterday in Chile were uh, there were um, petrol bombs that are th um, thrown um, at the um, police um, in the riot and uh, the police responded to uh, those bombs with tear gas and uh, also using uh, the water can cannons against the students. So um, uh, if you look on uh, BBC News at uh, www.bbc.co.uk, you can find um, an article, which is an article that I'm looking at right now about uh, the students and what happened yesterday at the demonstration. So... Basically, the uh, protests were first started in 2011. Um, there are much smaller protests. There weren't um, thousands of students in the streets during that time. But uh, yesterday, and at least now this year in 2013, um, there are a lot more students that are protesting out in the streets. And uh, it's pretty much uh, citywide and a lot of students who are also from more the outskirts of uh, the city in Santiago uh, transport themselves to the city just so that they could participate in the student movement. So authorities said that 60 people were arrested and one policeman was seriously injured in the protest that happened yesterday. And what they were protesting for is basically um, against privatization of education, which is happening pretty much all over the world. And um, a lot of protests have been happening here 
in California as well. Uh, since we talked on our show uh, two weeks ago, students recently went up to the state capitol in Sacramento to protest against the tuition increases and um, just better ways to fund education. But it's definitely not to the point where we have or at least what happened two weeks ago, um, that protest in Sacramento isn't what happened in, in, you know, in Santiago, obviously, with uh, police brutality and um, students also um, reacting and throwing um, the petrol bombs at the police. So um, what's your reaction to this, Bache? Well, uh, one thing um, that I want to say about it is that um, in the beginning, education, like since uh, the beginning of time was actually private, uh, private education was for higher class people. And then we made it public so um, people can attend colleges, so students can get an education to get a better life. Um, and now they're trying to privatize it again. And it's kind of like as if the government was like, okay, here you go. Here's, here's uh, free education for the public. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We actually need money from education. I think um, our government and maybe even the, uh, the government of Chile um, can do something better than privatizing their education. Rather, they should, I don't know, get their money from elsewhere rather than privatizing our education because that's going to affect the future in the long run. Um, sure, for the short run, it doesn't seem like it's going to affect much, but or they're going to probably do it for a short-term period, but it's going to affect everybody in the long run because the, the this money is coming out of families' pockets and a lot of pockets too so yeah yeah well privatization um generally looks different um for students here um in the u.s so uh well actually i think i feel like you're you're speaking more from like students here at the u.s and how privatized privatization works here mm -hmm. but in chile um there's also like a different system in how they privatize education mm -hmm. and uh uh, generally, um, as well as here, you have your three different types of school systems. So here in the U.S. and in Chile, you have your public school education system, um, which are pretty much government-funded education systems, or for the most part anyway. Um, it's not really like that now, I don't think. But, you know, just for the most part, that's the idea. And then on the side of that, you have... Uh, or the second type of system, you have government-funded and um, partly privatized um, education system. So you have some donors here and there, but just to help um, fund these schools. And then on top of that, you have the fully privatized schools. So um, actually, the system here is um, also very different to how education is over in Chile. Um, in schools in Chile, 80% of the schools were determined by the central government um, under the category of educational finance, which pretty much the government funds for everything if it's central government. So it's education, finance, um, giving teachers, you know, their money for working, um, their salaries, employment, things like that. Mm -hmm. But what happened um, in the 80s actually was Chile then started to change their education system. So instead of making everything completely, completely government finance like it was prior to that time, um, which we've been having it for actually a much longer period of time. Um, they created a system that actually decentralized the way that um, funding went towards the schools. Um, so uh, that's where the different types of funding comes from. Um, the private schools are pretty much, you pay 
by pocket um, through your own fees. So there's no financial aid that goes into it at all like we have in our public schools. Um, also, uh, so with this reduced federal intervention into the local education schools and um, different uh, other different institutions, uh, Chile actually resulted in an 18% drop in the federal spending on education throughout the 1980s. So what we are seeing today are some of the effects that happened because of that decentralized system. Not that it was necessarily meant to be something, you know, I guess catastrophic when you think about education and how it's accessible for students. However, it's something that, because there's been so much privatization in schools, it's definitely affected a lot of students now, um, which is where some of the protests um, come from. Uh, especially from the protests in yesterday. So another thing that they established was a voucher-type government subsidy, um, which was basically available for use in private and public municipal schools. Uh, so they basically distribute these vouchers to a certain number of students depending on where they live or depending on the school that they go to. What happened was these vouchers also encourage private schools to enter the education marketplace because vouchers are worth um, money in the government system. So private schools entered in order to compete for government funding alongside with the municipal education institutions. So because of this competition, um, privatization was meant to then kind of just weed out the schools that weren't very effective or the schools that just didn't get that much funding in general because maybe the funding wasn't um, allocated properly through the government or the uh, people who are living um, in that region or wherever the school is weren't earning enough so not enough money was going into um, that school in general. It was just in a more poorer area. But what happens is um, if that school uh, doesn't do well then it's pretty much cancelled and then these students are forced to have to try to get into private schools, which for a lot of them, these private schools are not accessible. So uh, that's just uh, one of the issues relating to the education in Chile and um, what's going on today. So um, just to give you some background, but I think one of the bigger things that stands out in regards to the protests that happened yesterday also is the fact that students were actually Violent. Violent, yeah, really violent. Or seemingly violent, as it says in this article, anyway. I think that's sort of counterintuitive in their sense, because, um, you know, when we had the walkouts and sit-ins back in the 70s, um, students weren't really that violent, in my opinion, because um, they would peacefully sit, sit down and... Um, we even had UC Davis, you know, whenever they had that huge pepper spray incident, um, they took it. Like, they didn't fight back, and that showed more courage, I believe, than fighting back. And now that um, the students fought back and threw bombs or whatever it is, um, it, it paints a darker image of how protesting is and um, paints a darker image of activism, actually, in my mm -hmm. opinion. What do you mean by paints a darker image of of what protesting is? Because, like, it, like protesting, do you think protesting equals equal protesting? Because there's, like, 
different types well what i think when i think of protesting i i usually think of kind of like something along the lines of i don't know of gandhi or uh, martin luther king to yeah. cite some famous examples um because they were like really pacifistic about their their um approaches their approaches to facing against their enemies um and I, I, that's what comes to mind with the, I guess, stereotype of activism and um, protests and stuff. Sure, you see, you see people with megaphones or probably picket fences or something like that also in your mind. But usually it's like there's no, like, clash between government and the other group, you know? There's no, like, physical clash. And the fact that there was this physical clash was um, something that probably sparked the interest of BBC News to post this up. Yeah. I think also, well, I mean, there are actually a lot of protests that happened prior to the 70s and after that were all violent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot of times that's not, I think during the time it wasn't really something that they wanted students to be exposed to. Mm-hmm. The fact that students actually have the power to, um, yeah, have the power to um, create violence in protests and, I mean, why not? You know, they're trying to fight for something that they believe in. So that's another view, too. I mean, I think it's just... I think when you're looking at news through, like, BBC, but it's from, like, a perspective, like, a student here in the U.S., or a student mm-hmm. that doesn't even really participate in protesting in general, um, it can come off as, like, oh, well, why... Like, I don't understand why students would go and, like, throw petrol bombs at police, but it's a completely different... <laughs> I want to know how they got the bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Did they make them themselves? <laughs> we don't know. BBC doesn't know. I don't think BBC really went into the details like that. They should, yeah. though, for it's, us questioning. Yeah. So let's just talk a little bit more about the violence, because violence was um, also addressed in this article. So um, according to reporters, uh, the groups of students that were involved in the violence of the protests feel that they have the right to create disorder, damage property interrupt the traffic and generate violence in Santiago, quote. Um, So that was uh, taken by a reporter from an interview with the Interior Minister, Andres Chadwick. Um, Now, students feel that they have the right to create disorder. Um, That's just assuming that students (laughs) wanted to create disorder in general. To catch attention, I think. Just to catch attention. But I I think if you're harming people's lives or, like, their security, I think that's, like kind of crossing the line even if it's chile or if it's the u.s i feel like if you're causing traffic and causing accidents and throwing bombs that could potentially injure someone else besides the police who are you know probably heavily guarded um against these things i i think it's kind of crossing the line regardless of what that person said yeah but i mean okay so let's say that the students like what came prepared with these petrol bombs or i don't know to defend themselves while they're out there trying to peacefully protest let's say that's what was the case why is it that hundreds of um policemen were actually deployed with armored vehicles and water canyon cannons already before mm-hmm. they even started the protest I you know, know. Uh, like it's like was it a planned protest like oh yeah it was know? planned yeah this is definitely planned because and i'm sure that um, people were pretty much hearing, like, oh, there's going to be a protest in Santiago yeah. at this day. Because they had buses of um, students from other regions 
coming just to join mm. the protest. I think also because of the sheer number in uh, from what when was the earlier protest? You said there was only like a few of them, like eighty of them or a hundred, and then there's now thousands. Oh, I didn't give I didn't give numbers, but they were oh. smaller. Yeah, they there were, were smaller, smaller protests you said. that started in the beginning, as like lots of protests do happen. Yeah, they start off more small. I think um, the sheer size of a thousand people is pretty big. I mean, that was like the size of my private school whenever I was go- attending high school. So that that's pretty scary in itself. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is they're not... A lot of the students that are involved in the protests in Chile, um, at least in the research that I've been doing, they are not even part of the city, or they're not originally from the city. They're from like a more, you know, neighboring province. But a lot of them also are pretty much upset with middle class and how the middle class has the advantage to go to to schools. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they really, they don't get anything like financial aid in Chile, or at least not as much as that's so prevalent here. You know, in the U.S., there's a huge difference Mm -hmm. um, between um, our two countries. But anyway, so yeah, um, a lot of the students that come from more um, poorer working middle, uh, working um, lower class complain that, it's pretty much just the middle class students who benefit from both public and private education, um, mm. especially in Chile, which is one of the other arguments. I think it's pretty inspiring because, like, the students are taking their education into their own hands and this, like, politics of education. Because, especially uh, since students are usually the greater voting group, I don't know if uh chile uh has students vote a lot but particularly in the u.s i feel like students are a big political group and probably primarily the activist group that the cops have to fight against so i think it's really inspiring at the same time as scary because uh it shows their passion and drive to see some sort of change you know yeah well that's why they're like demanding it now more so personally like i would like to see that type of power here (laughs) Mm -hmm. with um how our educational system is here but it uh the stakes are a lot higher um over there as they have been especially since the change just happened like 20 years ago yeah so there's definitely shown a difference and um it says here also um in this article it's called the failings of chile's education system you can find this at um coha.org but um, anyway, so despite the fact that Chilean government increased subsidies and allocated additional funds toward public municipal schools um, through the new program that's called Educational Quality Improvement Program, um, it's said that children from well-off families who attend the private schools generally learn more and achieve the highest scores on tests um, compared to low-income children attending municipal or subsidized private schools. Um, they present the lower levels of um, education performance. Um, so it's not even really generally, oh, how much is this school getting subsidized by the government or is this school privatized to the point where it gets absolutely no government subsidy? The fact is still that a lot of times those who come from low-income families just generally don't, don't do well at all. So it's, it's not even an issue of the type of education system. It's just generally um, the background of these students before they even go and see these education systems affects how they do in school mm-hmm. which angers a lot of people still because um the way that their system is set up it's set up that it doesn't really incorporate 
I guess, all of the needs, like, you know, um, having the family support for school or having the safety um, in the streets um, for students to feel like school is a place to be, you know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily um, safe as well for some of these schools. So, um, yeah, that's basically um, the issue going on in um, in Chile. And when I was, I went to this um, conference, the International League of People's Struggles Conference, and uh, in that conference, this was actually back in 2011, um, in that conference, the students who I met from Chile were explaining that um, the student movement over there in Chile, it's not necessarily a movement that kind of just came up out of nowhere. There's already, like, students go to school and already understand that um, it could be so much better than they're being given. Like, they know that for a fact. So, um, I know earlier, um, Valche, you and I were talking about um, why would students, you know, leave classes. Yeah, I, I, I told you in the U.S. it's kind of um, counterintuitive for uh, protesting students to leave classes because um, most most of those students aren't paying for themselves the the classes cost money and the professors will continue teaching regardless of the students leaving, um, regardless of the disorder caused because the professors need to get paid and need to do their job and continue doing their job. And you said that you yourself uh, participated in a student protest. Do you want to talk more about that? Oh, yeah, I did. But that was like, that was back before it wasn't even i don't think we protested for education that was when they were coming up with those uh is it reforms to uh, basically uh, for the undocumented parents to be the dream act no 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 before that but anyway um yeah but that was like i mean the difference is a lot of the students here generally the ones who do protest are from like i would say a middle class because we don't really, like, if you compare it to Chile, if you compare it to Chile, the middle class is different from the middle class in Chile. Yeah, most you know, certainly. Like, middle class that we would find here would technically be considered lower class in Chile for some people, depending on the province that they came from. So it, there's a difference of really how you would categorize um, students and how you would categorize people based on class which looks very different in chile so here because there are a lot of students who technically are from the lower class here in the u.s um over in chile it would be considered middle class so a lot of these students that are protesting here would actually be considered upper class (laughs) you know like the Mm -hmm. value in education it looks different i think also that um chile is a very Whenever I view it, I think of it as a very highly political like country. It's, I mean, we have our politics here in the U.S. and it's a big thing whenever it comes around. But I feel like uh, Chile is more actively political in my in my views because I'm taking specifically um, a comparative literature class uh, about Latin Americans, Latin American co- countries and their politics. And it seems as though ever since, like, Chile began, like, there was always, like, a a run of politics and active politics. Um, Specifically with uh, artists, uh, intellectuals, students, um, and politicians, of course. But um, some of those people 
it's pretty interesting, in my opinion, to see that uh, Chile is still continuing in this active political um, venues. Well, they're just more active compared to <laughs> yeah. the political yeah. venues that oh, we would yeah. have here in the U.S. And yeah. yeah, generally it is different because they've had um, political and military regimes that ruled the governments as opposed to, you know, your democratic, you know, just Senate. Just democ- democratic and yeah. uh, Republican face off against each other and lots of millions of dollars spent just to get one vote. Yeah, well, it's just different. Yeah, I mean, it it's, it's difficult to compare it. It is, it is. I think that's the issue. Because a lot of times, uh, even in the way that um, news in Chile is um, translated here um, in the U.S., it, it's really incomparable because the, the demographics and the history is just so different in general, especially with how the government runs the system as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, back to the protests in Chile. Um, so the students that I, uh, I would talk to in the conference, a lot of them talked about how it, it's kind of just like... You as a student, especially if you're coming from the more um, low-income families who send their students to um, schools uh, more in the city area, um, it's basically your right and your duty as a student to like other students to partake in in such protests mm-hmm. or to partake in the movement because they they generally categorize it under the term you know movement. This is something mm-hmm. that students have been doing and are doing that won't stop doing until we end privatized education. So having that type of network or surrounding yourself if you were a student with that network, it would, and not that you're being bullied into being part of the movement or anything, it's not that, it's, it's just, you know, you come in with that general idea yeah, that yeah, you, education is still something that you need it's kind of like the nur- nurturing environment like it's the environment you come like you're raised in and so because of that you you fall into that same passion yeah so that's what a lot of the students that i met were Influenced talking about yeah so i mean if you're like so if you meet a student like that who's saying oh like this is pretty much the right of the student um to do which i do firmly believe actually um then it is who say otherwise um, but when you're bringing in, like, the, I guess, the violence of some of these protests and how they've come about, um, a lot of times, um, I guess other students would say, oh, it's mostly the police that start off the violence, because they come with the weapons in general, like, with the water cannons and with the tear gas, they come with it. So, wouldn't it be, like, the police who generally started the violence, um, in some of these protests? I, I don't want to blame the police because they're just doing their job and trying to uh, kind of contain the disorder. I don't know how similar um, the United States police is to the um, police forces of the government of Chile. But I do want to note that what the government is just trying to do, in, in my opinion, with the police force is just trying to contain that disorder and chaos and, you know, stopping the students from causing traffic jams and running into cars and cars running into them. And yeah, let's stop the students. Let's let's blast them with water cannons well, and create more order. Well, they, well, in some ways, like they're not. They don't. I don't know how Chile, government of Chile's police forces work, but like we don't have water cannons here in the U.S. Yeah, so. we do. Well, we don't. We don't use yeah, them. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> yes, we did. When. <laughs> okay. No, they did. Um and they still use them sometimes. It's just you don't always like hear about it. 
Yeah. You know, even well, even whenever there's like protests in LA, they've um they have used um water cannons before. Yeah. But not necessarily like, oh, we're going to use them, you know, but it's just like it's something that they do have that they have used against students. They did it during the civil rights movement. Yeah, th- but it's people were protesting. Nowadays the uh, police are really uh careful. They've Here. Been, yeah, here in California. I don't know if any uh I've just learned about the California police recently, so that's the most uh most recent information that I have. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about that. But what I basically want to say is that the police is uh, something to be really careful about. Anyway, uh, for right now, the Chilean government... Oh, okay, alright, hold on, because I'm oh. going to get dead air, but, yeah, we're going to get dead air, but Jordan, I'll have to call you back, <laughs> okay, okay, bye. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we know, we just had a caller <laughs> on the, on the air who, um, uh, wished to not, uh, actually, uh, speak on the air, but, um, still, uh, Have yeah, some input? Uh, yeah, have some input that, you know, protesting has been going on for a really long time, so, um, like this is the history uh, of of protesting that that's been going on in the U.S. and also mm. um, in Latin America, all over the world. Like that's what it is. I think a lot of times, I guess, kind of in your perspective, also, Bache, the protests don't necessarily have to be violent, but like there are just times where uh, they kind of just end up with violence because violence is put onto a lot of protesters because of that stereotype that oh, like these are these are people who are trying to create disorder and cause violence in the streets when they're really just trying to fight for their rights and what they believe in. And it takes a big stance, like it takes a really big movement and it takes a lot of people mm-hmm. to have that type of attention. It does. Actually yeah, make a difference. I mean, look what we do, you know? We like go to we, Sacramento. Huh, huh, well, yeah, but, but we also, we, everybody just puts stuff on Facebook now, you know? Like, it's, it's, it was different before, just like it's kind of different. Well, I think technology there. changes a lot of that, that's why. Um, but yeah, but now it's like the way that people, people don't really, like, the idea of protesting, it's not even really there if you're going to be advocating for something that you believe in or demanding a change. It's more like, let's sign this online petition, you know, change your profile picture <laughs> to a certain thing, just say that you're down for the cause, tweet it for, you know, whatever. But in, that's not actually, is that actual activism? In some ways, it, it's kind of like gathering those uh, written signatures back then from petitions, you know? The, people would come knocking on your doors, can you sign this petition type of thing? Yeah, but that's not what it is. Yeah, but some of them are legitimate. Like, I, I know some of them that are legitimate. Um, they don't come on the top of my head right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there well, are some legitimate ones where you sign up for a cause and um, you get email updates about where to meet and and you meet people. Like, for instance, the People of Struggles movement. That's not necessarily a, a petition you sign, but you sign up to get info and you sign up to meet with these people and uh, kind of assemble and talk about issues. I think... I think generally you just need to be like, you know, open minded, (laughs) more exposed. No, not even just open minded. You know, like I understand, you know, where you're coming from and where your views are from, which is why I invited you onto the show also to kind of just, you know, 
share opinions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's, yeah, I think a lot of students really don't get that type of exposure or that experience and what it means to really, you know, be an activist. And, and, and I guess part of the show is also we've talked about how you could be an activist in multiple different ways. Right. But lots of students generally don't engage in protests. Like, I mean, at least the students that I know and the students that I followed have. Mm-hmm. But if you are a student it's who's not... It's a specific not, group. It's yeah. a specific group. But in Chile, it's not just the specific group. It's something a lot bigger than that. It's not... Some, for a lot of students, sometimes it's not even a choice. It's like the thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's like the right thing to do, and it's the thing to do right then, like at that moment type of thing. Because well, if you don't, then it's not going to I think I think that comes back to the idea that it's where it's where they grew up and it's that those people's that it's those people's opinions that have influenced them and what they grew up in and their environment because um they're with this like political ideas put in put in their minds about you know student activism and being actively involved in stuff so and here in this environment um there's a lot of um dissatisfaction with our government with the police with a lot of things uh, in the united states in comparison to chile which i think they're 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 they they disagree on some things with their government but generally they they know that they can change things we we don't see change right away in the u.s and that's why we have dissatisfaction with our government um and that's why we don't do much for our government in my opinion um but in chile's government they they know they can change it and um even though they know that change won't be really rapid they'll still be active about it and they'll still protest and still go for it because they want to be actively involved in it and that's why there's such a specific group here in the u.s in comparison to chile in my opinion yeah um well i think also for big things to happen like this in chile it's not the first time for it to happen um either and there are a lot of there's constantly a lot of like news updates and reports on activism and protesting and it's a lot more prevalent. It's kind of a question of why such a movement isn't visible mm-hmm. here in the US. It, uh, would it be even possible here in the US in today's day and age now? I don't know. I personally don't really think so, at least not amounting to what they have over in Chile, but it's a it's a it's an issue of the stigma of activism. Yeah. That that's the only way to be active and Mm -hmm. i personally don't think that the violence in chile is necessarily a bad thing when it comes to protesting because there's violence put onto the protesters over there as well and and it's still happening so and it happens in a lot of other countries as well so it's not just that but these tactics of bringing in you know water cannons and shooting them at at the students who are protesting and the people, they're not just students there, they're like parents and all sorts of other people who are there. Yeah. And throwing tear gas at them in order to create order, there's something it's wrong It's fighting fire there. with fire. They're t- I, don't, I don't think the, just as much as the students were in the, in the right, I don't think the, gov- the government of Chile was in the right by sending police with water cannons and just kind of fight fire with fire and weapons with more weapons and uh i think what should have happened was some sort of uh containment of the disorder um or more orderly protest i don't know of the different options but 
there could have been diff- better options um, in order to fight the protest, or not fight it, but I guess um, for the protest to have been more order to cause disorder, I guess. All right, so what we're going to do right now is we are going to listen to um, one of the reports on the protests that happened in Chile, um, as well as uh, Chile's education um, reform uh, system with, um, within Chile and finding education reform and uh, what uh, students are doing in Chile. So we're going to go ahead and um, listen to this. Chilean students once again take to the streets of Santiago calling for greater reforms to their country's education system. How far should the government go to fulfill their demands? You're watching Inside Story Americas from Washington. For several months last year, tens of thousands of students from high schools and universities across the country organized sit-ins, large marches and even a massive choreographed street dance. They're demanding a free education system for all. Chile's education system is one of the most privatized in the world. And when adjusted for the average income, the country's universities are among the most expensive. As the protests grew, the popularity of the center-right president, Sebastián Piñera, declined to the lowest level of any Chilean president in modern history. This week, the government announced some reforms, including a reduction in the interest rates on student loans. But protesters say the measures do not go far enough. They resume massive marches and say they will not stop pushing until their demands are met. Teresa Bo has more from Santiago. Chilean students are back on the streets in order to demand a free education. And this is happening at a time when President Sebastián Piñera is sending to Congress a tax overhaul that he says would allow the government to gain around $700 million that would allow them to make significant reforms to Chile's education system. The government has announced that from now on, it will be the state and not the banks who will be funding higher education scholarships. They say that the state will charge 2% interest rate instead of the 6% that banks have been charging until now. Students say that the government's proposal is not enough, that they want access to free education like in other Latin American countries. They say that education in Chile is treated as a commodity governed by market forces. And this is something that has been going on in this country since the dictatorship of General Augusto Pinochet back in the 1970s. Analysts say that since then, most basic services in Chile have been privatized like education, healthcare, and even the pension system. And that's one of the reasons why the Chilean students have so much support amongst the population here, because in a way they represent the general disenchantment with the situation here, most families end up in debt when they send their children to school. What many people here tell us is that Chile has been growing steadily in the last year, but that inequality continues to be very high. All right, so that was a, uh, for any of you who are tuning into this and you're interested in um, watching the rest of, of that report, um, it was from um, Al Jazeera, and you could find that on YouTube as well. So um, I'll go ahead and post this as well. Uh, we have a blog site for this show. It's called activismforamateurs.kuci.org. Um, go ahead and um, check out that website later on after the show, and I will put up um, the reports that uh, we found 
um, that we are using um, in reference to um, some of the things happening in Chile on the air. So uh, one of the other issues um, that's, that they're talking about now is how the government should respond to um, the students who were protesting. And um, like, like it was in, um, in the video, if you um, watch it or what we were talking about earlier, government was, response was um, also with violence. And there was a lot of other um, uh, arrests made also of the students who were protesting, um, as it does happen. Um, but I guess one of the other issues is how often will um, such arrests um, take place in Chile during these protests um, or the violence done by the police as well. So that was another thing that um, Al Jazeera was even looking into in order to just understand exactly what was going on in Chile. So um, an article on democracynow.org um, also published uh, published a video and an article based on um, the reform protests education reform protests in Chile. And uh, students are not only just, you know, it's not college students like a lot of times uh, we see here at UC Irvine, but these are students who are coming from high schools and middle schools and even as young as elementary schools who are protesting um, because they know that their future is going to be, unless you can um, pay for an education, you will not have access to an education, as well as free education not even being as accessible in Chile compared to countries like the U.S. and other Latin American countries. Um, so last week, uh, high school students um, also joined in a hunger strike um, that they called earlier in the capital in Santiago. And um, hung the hunger strike was also meant to end privatized education in Chile. So uh, there are different opinions being formed around how students are reacting to this education reform and what they choose to do in order to fight for the education that they believe in to the point where high school students are even having hunger strikes so it paints a bigger picture of exactly what type of um struggle and what type of movement is going on um for the students in chile right now so uh, tens of thousands of students are protesting not only in Santiago but also in other parts of Chile, and they protested um, yesterday on the same day that the Chile and um, that the um, protest in Santiago was happening. Um, so the changes in education, um, finding solidarity amongst um, the students and amongst the uh, voters and the other people in Chile who see um, all of this chaos happening on television, um, report to also feel that joining a more radicalized movement um, in the forms of hunger strike does call for immediate attention onto the education reforms in Chile. However, um, still, there are lots of other um, people who are saying, well, this has been happening for a while now, and the fact that um, tens of thousands of students have gotten involved speaks that students should really change how they want to protest about education reform, um, that students shouldn't be going on hunger strikes like um, before when it would happen in the 60s and 70s, like all of that has pretty much um, passed. It, it, it doesn't work. Those are some of the other um, input that um, the reporters were getting um, in this article as well. So um, I'll go ahead and post that um, also, this Democracy Now! video, so that anyone listening on the air right now 
you could um, reference to that later. So um, again, if there are any other, um, if there are listeners who are tuning in right now on the air, as always, you can call in at um, 949-824-5824. Again, the number is 949-824-5824 to um, express um, your opinions on um, the issues happening in Chile and um, what education reform looks like in Chile. And basically, um, all of these students protesting, what do you think about it? Um, how does it make you feel about the education system in Chile? And do you think it's proactive? Do you think it'll um, change ultimately for the students there? Um, so also for the educational experience in Chile, um, some of the issues were that a lot of these students are going to these schools and getting an education more through a test-based system, and um, the, there's, not a, there's not a lot of transparency in how, to what extent a student can actually voice out their own opinions, um, since a lot of um, the education now is more test-based. Um, that's one of the things that a lot of students are even complaining about, that there is no openness to formulate new ideas, to express opinion, to just have generally independent self-expression in both political ideas and um, social ideas. And um, how uh, in these schools, especially the privatized schools, the censorship for students um, is sometimes also very strong, which causes students to choose to take part in protests and activism um, on such a high, um, wide level. Um, along with other students, just because that's a place to voice opinion. So um, we'll go ahead and bring um, Valche back on the air as well. Um, so uh, Valche, what do you think about about that? If there's censorship happening in in schools for um, for students, and it's um, very regular, it's um, anti-political, you know, um, censorship, not wanting to let students really express their concerns that they have about the education system. And there are concerns about wanting a free education but not having the actual education space to express that. Um, what, what do you think you would do in that situation? I don't know. I guess go through, if, I, if it's something really directly affecting us students, then I, I feel as though it's important to find those venues, even if, um, I guess, they're illegal. Um, but in comparison to the U.S., I mean, we have our public universities that allow for open space we have our amendments that allow us to have um free speech and allow us to express our opinions um to a certain extent um so i i don't know what to think about uh the views of the government censoring specifically um because of anti-politics and whatnot uh towards education but i feel like if the students are trying to cause disorder, they definitely caught the attention of practically the whole world with uh, the BBC article and the videos and the news, news broadcasts and things. Yeah, definitely. I think that having um, a protest on that Grandiose. very large scale, um, tens of thousands of students protesting, it definitely calls for attention. And they got international attention, that's for sure. Um, we don't only have articles highlighting BBC um, news, um, for example, but we have articles from other countries as well, not just the U.S., not just the U.K., right. um, news coming out um, in different countries in Asia as well about the protests in Chile. So um, I guess one uh, last point um, 
uh, just to talk about what's happening in Chile, is that students um, are struggling, um, including high school students, which is why a lot of high school students are involved in the movement, but they're struggling to get into um, the universities in Chile um, since entrance is not accessible for, high, for all high school students either. So there is research conducted by the um, Matear that in indicated that universities typically accept a larger percentage of students from more privatized institutions than from the municipal public schools in which a lot of cases um, more the lower class students attend for their education. So for example, uh, there was analysis on the student background in the University of Chile and it showed that 50.8% of the students admitted there were educated in elite private schools while a mere 27% came from the municipal institutions or um, the schools that uh, had students who were coming from the lower class generally. Additionally, the students who attended um, uh, the Catholic University in Pontificia, um, which is one of the more um, prestigious universities in Chile, over 70% of those students came from private schools and 14.3% were from other subsidized private schools. There were only 15.1% that came from municipal schools. So that definitely says a lot that there's a grand um, disparity in the background of the students who are being accepted into the universities. Basically, students who are coming from the more privatized schools where they have to pay um, for their education are the ones who get a higher chance of getting into their secondary education, into their um, college education. So that's that's definitely says um, a difference, and uh, I I don't I don't know how how we would compare that to the U.S. necessarily, but but that's definitely different. I would feel because at least you know uh, here um, we do have generally a good like mixed amount mm -hmm. of um, students that attend um, our universities, or at least from UC Irvine, uh, lots of students are coming from public schools, not just private schools. Um, but still, uh, it, it's a similar issue here, but in Chile, it's definitely a lot more heated because there's a certain weeding out process that is um, going into these universities from the different education systems that they have in Chile, um, which is why you know, the high school students are protesting there as well. So um, there's also a lot of um, work being done by student leaders in Chile, and um, there's a lot of uh, different student organizations like um, Ley, Organa oh, Ley Organica Constitucional de Enseñanza. <laughs> I'm trying to do that, but that, that probably sounds really bad. But LOCE um, is one of, um, are one of the organizations um, that basically tried to promote the LGB, um, bill in 2006, which, um, pretty much started intense protesting in Chile. Um, and then we have students from the, uh, Student Federation of the University of Chile, for example, um, who claim that the main point, um, to express today is that they reject having profit-motivated education systems on any level, whether it's elementary schools, high schools, and up to the university level. And that education reform is the only way for students to solve 
the social problems in the country as well as the problems of access to education. Um, students also point out that there are no incentives for schools to provide a better education in general since both public and private schools receive equal subsidies. So that market competition that we were talking about earlier because so many privatized um, schools and education institutions are um, entering to have these vouchers from the government, it definitely creates an unequal um, setting where privatization is seen as the better way to have schools. So um, it's still profit motivating and students claim that it eliminates the poor from going into schools and eventually going into a wider job market that would help them get out from that low income gap. Um, so for any of you who have um, further concerns that you would like to um, express on the issue of education reform in Chile, um, you can go ahead and do that on activismforamateurs.tumblr, oh, sorry, activismforamateurs.kuci.org. It is a Tumblr site, so you'll be able to um, post um, other things that you might have, like pictures and um, blogs and things like that. And if you are tuning in, we are actually um, also going to be taking in more um, I guess if you have any topics that you would like to talk about on the air or hear any topics being highlighted on this show, you can do that. Um, you could just email me at laurenq at kuci.org. If you are uh, not just a student, but even a community member, if there is an issue out there that you are currently advocating for or against or just really passionate about in general, and you would like to highlight an upcoming event or something um, going on, um, you could definitely um, send me an email and then we can make announcements for your cause on the air on this show. So um, that's about all the time that we have for today. Um, stay tuned. Coming up next, we have the Laughter Lounge with Brett and Melody for your uh, comedic relief <laughs> after this very heated <laughs> um, show. But um, Activism for Amateurs will continue on into the spring quarter uh, same time. So that's Fridays from 4 um, o'clock p.m. However, it'll only be a half-hour show um, for the next uh, 10 to 12 weeks coming up. So Activism for Amateurs will be from 4 o'clock p.m. to 4.30 p.m. So for all those who like to tune in regularly, definitely tune in next week. Um, we'll have other topics and shows relating to activism and advocacy waiting for you um, next week. So that's all the time that we have for today. Um, I'd like to thank Vache for being a guest um, on the show and sharing your opinions on the show as well. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, so uh, hopefully next week we'll um, get um, interviews, uh, especially interviews from other activists um, who are in other countries. Uh, we're trying to set that up more um, for all of you people listening out there. Go ahead and tune in. And um, you can listen to a podcast of this show if you go to KUCI.org. Click on Schedule, click on the link for Activism for Amateurs, and we'll have it up there. And you can definitely listen to the show or send it to other people if you would like them to, to listen to the show as well. So thanks a lot, everybody, for tuning in. My name is Lauren Q, and you just listened to Activism for Amateurs here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Peace, everyone.